This is Guns and Butter. So this is what is at the stake. The other model is not just a competition with Russia, China, and then we will see, you know, the old BRICS block is doing. It's not just, you know, one against the other, like um, a football game in which there is a team and the other team, but they are perfectly the same, you know. There is a model that is based on a feudal looting uh, under financial forms. And on the other side, there is the attempt to create real economy, real development. So these are the two models that are have entered in a confrontation, probably in a final confrontation. It is what makes things very promising and very dangerous. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Umberto Pascali. Today's show, End of the Unipolar World, The Battle for Europe. Umberto Pascali is an independent writer and analyst based in Washington, D.C. He has worked on strategic issues and European geopolitics and has also conducted field research in a number of conflict countries. He followed closely the various destabilization operations against Italy, Germany, and France. In particular, he wrote about non-Orthodox warfare, also known as terrorism, carried out by the Red Brigades in Italy and the RAF in Germany. He was one of the authors of the dossier, Who Killed Aldo Moro?, shortly after the assassination of the Italian statesman in 1978. He is an astute observer of U.S. foreign policy, focusing on questions of national sovereignty and economic development. Umberto Pascali is one of the producers of the great Italian 9-11 film, Zero. Today we discuss some of his most recent articles, including Anglo-American Dominance Could Be Coming to an End. Umberto Pascali, welcome. Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Good. Let's start with the unprecedented deal inked between Russia's main energy company, Gazprom, and the Chinese government on May 21st of 2014. You point out that this natural gas contract links Russia and China economically and strategically for the next three decades. What are the far-reaching implications of this deal? Well, first of all, uh, this is what uh, uh, the Anglo-American powers, and namely Wall Street and the city of London, try to prevent for a long time. Uh, as you remember, the biggest success of Henry Kissinger uh, was during his visit with Nixon in China, was not that he established a connection with China, but was that he made sure that China and Russia would be in a uh, perennial confrontation. Uh, this was his big achievement. The basic tenets of, again, I, I talk about Wall Street, the city of London, instead of talking about the Americans or the British as population, because obviously... They have a little to do with this. But the, the, the main principle of the British colonial geopolitics inherited by uh, Washington now is 
that in Asia you have to prevent always that the three biggest nations, Russia, China and India, get together. This is, if you want to control that area uh, in a colonial way or in a financial way, that is the update of colonialism now is done through financial institutions uh, like in Wall Street at the city of London. If you want to do that, you have to apply the divide et timbera, the divide and conquer. Uh, this is a principle that the, the British, for the British Empire was holy. Uh, you remember, you know, people who read the books of Kipling remember the expression, the great game. The great game was uh, to make sure that Russia and uh, in India at that time would fight each other and there, there could be no connection. Now, uh, of course, there are many differences between Russia and uh, China, uh, cultural, historical, uh, economical. There is a fear by Russia that the Chinese could get into Siberia. There is a, a great difference in population and so on. All fears that have been uh, used and exploited to create this uh, uh, open or underground confrontation between the two countries. This has been overcome. In other words, uh, people should understand it's not something that has to do with the last 10 years or 20 years when Russia and China have been negotiating this particular deal. This is something that goes back centuries, and it's the basic of colonialism. This has been defeated, and uh, so uh, I cannot uh, emphasize too much the importance of uh, this deal. Uh, concretely, uh, the deal was on uh, natural gas energy from Russia to China. It's $400 billion. Dollar, four hundred billion dollar. I don't know if there was ever such a deal so big. Uh, it, it goes on for thirty years now. China will not be able to do without the, the gas from Russia. Russia, on the other side, cannot be able to go on without the money coming from selling gas to China. So it means. These two countries now are Siamese twins. Furthermore, what is important, we are talking about $400 billion. This is not really proper in this situation. It's not dollar. For the first time, these countries are using uh, yuan and ruble, the currency of China and the currency of Russia. That's the other big implication. It's a big geopolitical defeat for, let's say, the colonial financial forces, let's call it this way. But it's also a big defeat in the sense that the dollar system uh, that is based on the idea that whatever commodity I buy in whatever part of the world, I have to pay it in dollars. And to pay it in dollars, I have to get dollars from I don't know, the Federal Reserve from the U.S. when someone printed this piece of paper day and night. Uh, this was the big trick, the big idea 
uh, that finally, uh, you know, we can make money, the whole world will buy it, we don't need to work, we don't need to have an economy. On the US side, this was a terrible choice that uh, uh, the basically deindustrialized uh, the country, the industrialized United States. Uh, now we have cities that uh, are uh, bankrupted, like Detroit and so on, and once were the center of uh, productions. So at this point, the dollar is being abandoned. This has been the first example. Uh, plus, after that, uh, there was an announcement by uh, the, the CEOs of uh, Gazprom, the Russian company, the biggest oil, uh, the biggest energy company in, uh, in Russia, that made the deal with China, uh, that they are going to use not anymore dollar, but for the moment euros, the European currency, in transition toward the rubles for all their clients, for all the, the, the people who buy energy from them. Uh, the, the CEO already announced that uh, uh, nine out of ten of their consumer have signed, uh, you know, the statement from the uh, TAS, uh, ITAR TAS agencies said signed, not anymore agreed, before the consumer had agreed, now they signed that they will not use the dollar. Now, of course, this is... Uh, this has been on the work for a long time. It's been precipitated, probably, but not caused by the Ukrainian crisis when the, the, the present administration, the Obama administration, followed uh, fully the insane, crazy, uh, I, I don't know how to define, advices uh, in line of Zbigniew Brzezinski, the supposedly the inventor of Obama, and they play the Nazi card in Ukraine. They supported this group that were the remnant of the old uh, Nazi network, literally, literally. Uh, this was the Galen organization, the last uh, head of intelligence, uh, Nazi intelligence, that uh, basically was taken over completely uh, by the US with the idea that they had a big network in Eastern Europe so they, they could uh, keep an eye and do operation and destabilization in uh, the Soviet Union or Eastern Europe when Soviet Union existed. This network has ever been revived. I, I couldn't believe that so openly they decided to play the Nazi card, but uh, you know the government that organized the coup in uh, Ukraine in Kiev, uh, are openly uh, Nazi. So this situation, of course, uh, put Russia in the condition of uh, Putin as president to have to do something. And uh, there was uh, the, the idea of the operation from the US side was to get Crimea, where there is the, the, the Russian Navy, the only the only way the Russian Navy can reach the, the Mediterranean, in, in a certain sense, the Atlantic, unless you want to go to north or to, to the east, to Vladivostok, 
And the idea was to transform the basis in Crimea, the Russian basis, in NATO basis. So uh, the whole population in Crimea is Russian, and you know all the eastern and southern part of Ukraine is a majority uh, Russian population. Just in the 50s, Khrushchev, who was Ukrainian, for whatever reason, decided to give this area to Ukraine. Ukraine being part of the Soviet Union was not a big difference, but now it is. So uh, there was a coup d'etat in uh, Kiev, and Russia, as defensive move, you know, facilitated this referendum, this uh, vote in uh, Crimea, and basically the large majority they are so happy that they escaped these uh, Nazi monstrosities. But uh, uh, now the thing is continuing. Uh, any resistance by Russian city, that is a Russian, Russian, or anybody else who doesn't agree with the, the Nazi policy in Kiev uh, is under attack. And there is a military uh, assault against the civilian population in the middle of Europe. And basically in the so-called West, nobody say much about that. But the main uh, goal of this operation, of this military operation against the civilians in the middle of Europe, uh, with the people killed, with the people burned alive, literally, uh, the main is to uh, create a confrontation between Europe that must remain under NATO under Anglo-American and uh, in reality under Wall Street, uh, city of London control, and Russia. So the, the Ukrainian operation, the Ukrainian Nazi operation was a reaction to what was going on in terms of this alliance between Russia and China, and basically to put in the two economies together, and soon the military together, I, one can expect. So this was the reaction because the, the next step would have been that the European countries would have gone on that side, on the side of Russia, not because they, they, they want to become Russia, they like Russia, because it's a natural thing to do in a continent that formally is divided between Europe and Asia, but it's a continent. Everybody who can, who can see a, a map can see that it's a continent. It's an Eurasian continent. And the most natural thing is to uh, exchange, to have a, a economic collaboration, cooperation, and, and every other kind of collaboration in this area. As until now, it has been prevented, uh, you know, lately because... Uh, you know, since uh, 1917, because it was uh, the Soviet Union was the communist, and then there was the anti-communist or the free world, whatever. But bottom line, these two areas were divided and conquered. I'm speaking with writer and analyst Umberto Pascali. Today's show, End of the Unipolar World, The Battle for Europe. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. So this now with the, the alternative created to the dollar and the economic alternative created by uh, Russia, China, Europe would feel the attraction toward this area of development. 
But even more, uh, the question is not, again, I want to stress, a question of Americans against Russians or against Europeans or the British, poor British, uh, you know, a, a destroyed country against, uh, uh, I don't know who, against uh, everybody else. The problem is this center of real power, the Wall Street, you know, the big financial institution, Wall Street and the city of London, this little square mile in the middle of London that is uh, an independent kingdom uh, controlled by these uh, these bankers. Uh, You know, these two areas have really imposed their will both in the United States and in Europe. Today, if you look at the American economy, you don't see, you know, a flourishing economy or, you know, in terms, if you look at uh, uh, Wall Street, if you look at the Dow Jones, you say, oh my God, this country was never so rich. I remember when the Dow Jones was, what, 8,000, now 10,000, 15,000, I don't know, 20,000 tomorrow. What does it mean? There is any connection between this number, this uh, uh, casino uh, orgy of uh, piece of papers and the real economy, the economy that feed people, that give you, you know, a wage that uh, allow you to support your family and to have uh, the dream that your children will be better than you are, like used to be. No, more the Dow Jones goes up, more this, uh, you know, fictitious uh, mountain of paper grows, and more the, the real economy, the economy that feed the people and feed the country, get looted. So this is what is at stake. The other model is not just a competition with Russia, China, and then we will see, you know, the whole BRICS block is doing. It's not just... You know, one against the other, like um, a football game in which there is a team and the other team, but they are perfectly the same. You know, uh, intelligent one, intelligent other, or stupid one, stupid other. No, there is a model that is based on a feudal looting uh, under financial forms. And on the other side, there is the attempt to create real economy, real development. So these are the two models that are have entered in a confrontation, probably in a final confrontation. It is what makes things very promising and very dangerous. Now, you have said that the governments of the United States and the European countries are not independent entities, that they do not have the will or even the ability to act on behalf of their people, that they are controlled by powerful banking interests. They have been taken over by two financial centers that do not care for the real economy. They pursue only speculation and looting. Uh, This is what you're talking about. How exactly does this work, and where is this situation headed? Well, you know, if you go uh, to large part of the United States. Maybe there are few areas like, I don't know, here around Washington, around the airport, uh, the Dallas airport in Washington, or I don't know, North Carolina, or maybe certain area of California. Uh, you find still people who uh, have a job. They don't care if they lose it because they can get another one. But for the rest, there is nothing. Uh, people are really in bad shape. If I go here a little bit north, 
in Pennsylvania uh, or, or, or even uh, a little bit uh, inside the country, I see things that uh, are really uh, worrying. Uh, you know, a level of uh, uh, misery and depression that is uh, somehow scary. So how this happened? How did the big uh, productive machine of the United States reach this point? Well, there was a choice. They made the choice. They made the choice, uh, I don't know, uh, probably even before Reagan, but with, uh, with Reagan, I don't know how much Reagan understood what he was talking about, the trickle-down economy, uh, but there were people who understand what they were doing. And the idea was the U.S. is not interested in real economy, in producing real goods. We are interested in financial services, because you make money with money. That's the secret. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know, a joke, but uh, that became a, a dictatorial economic financial doctrine. So uh, the Chinese will produce, you know, the colored people, the them people there in the, in the third world, uh, you know, you give him one dollar and they give you a pair of Nike shoes or even 50 cents because they have uh, children working in the jungle after being kidnapped by, uh, by the, the, the gangsters, like, like happened in Southeast Asia. I, I saw it, unfortunately. So the Chinese will do the, the, the dirty work for us. We don't need to have a production of things like uh, steel or parts uh, for cars, for, um, for anything. Uh, we, maybe we... We choose a few sectors like uh, information technology because this is the way you can control a thing and you can have an advantage on everybody else. Uh, you can have, uh, um, I know, certain specific part of the uh, military industry, not everything, because also the military industry has to use other parts important. But we have this strategic thing, we are secure, and then, okay, and then we have a label, you know, we get uh, shoes from, uh, I don't know, from Indonesia, from the jungle of Indonesia, uh, for $1. We put a label on it, and the shoes are worth $100. Wow, uh, we have solved all our problems. So what this did is, on one side, yeah, for a moment there was this euphoria, you know, and Wall Street went up. Everybody was happy. Because it's like you go to a casino in which you win all the time. And finally, the big mystery of the, the universe history was, uh, was discovered, how to make money without working. But of course, on the other side, you destroy your qualified labor. You know, people were able to do certain things. were unemployed because it's cheaper to import them. Uh, so you have a mass of people once were the, the, the breadwinning, they were the people, uh, you know, like in Buffalo. In Buffalo, there were, I saw beautiful houses in which once the steel workers, one person in a family would work, and then he could feed the whole family. He could buy a big house of literally 10 rooms. He could go vacation. He could buy a car, uh, maybe a boat, everything he wanted. Uh, with one stipend. Now, if you go to Buffalo, you see that these beautiful houses are transformed in mini apartment. One house of a steel worker now uh, has like 
probably six mini apartments for people who you know have to work hard to keep up with the, the rent or the mortgage. So this is what uh, you know uh, simplifying. This is what what has happened, and the choice is still being pursued. Still, people think they have found the secret. Uh, you know, to to make uh, gold out of uh, I don't want to say dirty word out of nothing. You know? uh, but this, on the other side, transformed countries like China in powerful productive engine. And then they they also said, why should we have uh, only you know uh, should produce only little things? You know, consumer goods to sell to them. No, we want the really machine tool. We want the really. In fact, they are they are sending satellite in space. They have a space program, and they have a, a military industry in China. Unthinkable. Uh, until so, you have sold the the goose that laid the golden eggs. You have given it away with the illusion to make money. So few people with the feudal mentality are making money, anything when the economy is collapsing, in Wall Street, and the rest of the population is going down, down, down. From a strategic and political point of view, then, are we seeing the sunset of the dollar system? What what do you make of the color revolutions, social upheavals, and Arab springs? Let's talk about the recent history of Iran, Libya, and Iraq. Were these countries challenging dollar hegemony? Well, uh, yeah, in fact, uh, you know, I want to call your attention. I want to to find the the precise quotes. One of the few uh, strategic thinkers still uh, alive, living today, it's uh, Leonid Ivashov. He's a general and happened to be a Russian general. He was the representative of the Russian armed forces in NATO. He said in uh, 2011, he said, he wrote an article, BRICS and the mission of reconfiguring the world. BRICS, by the way, means uh, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. This is the coalition of countries that Russia and China put together with Russia, China, India, again, Russia, China, India were the country, we will see why it was so important for this administration that Russia, China, India would fight each other. Uh, So these countries got together, they are uh, putting their economies together, and uh, the analysis of General Evershoff was uh, the countries that defy dollar dominance they try to get away from the dollar system, that means the Wall Street system, unfortunately, doesn't mean the American system. Uh, the countries which defy dollar dominance invariably came under heavy pressure in a number of cases under devastating attack. And he's talking about uh, countries like Iran, like Libya, who try to, to do a, gold, a golden currency, uh, Iraq, Iran. All these countries have been um, under a very heavy attack because of that. Nobody should be allowed to get away from the dollar system because this means to get away from the feudal 
financial system of Wall Street. He said, since the collapse of the Soviet Union, the countries which defy dollar dominance invariably came under heavy pressure and in a number of cases under devastating attacks. Saddam Hussein, now maybe the general will tell us the secret why what happened to Saddam Hussein, because Saddam Hussein used to be a good ally of the United States, uh, especially when he was doing war with Iran. Saddam Hussein, who banned dollar circulation in all sphere of Iraq economy, including oil trade, was displaced and executed, and this country was left in ruins. Muammar Gaddafi, Libya, started switching Libya oil and gas business to gold-backed Arab currency, and air raids against the country followed almost immediately. He was killed in this barbaric way we know. Tehran, Iran, had to put its plan to stay dollar-free on hold to avoid falling victim of aggression. This was 2011. Still, even enjoying unlimited U.S. support, the financial empires built by the Rothschild and the Rockefellers, general name the names, are powerless against the five largest civilizations represented by countries accounting for nearly half of the world population, the BRICS. Again, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, this coalition. BRICS is clearly immune to forceful pressure. Its member countries do not appear vulnerable to color revolution, and the strategy of provoking exporting financial crisis may easily backfire. And then he proposed, these countries can uh, start a strategy to create an alternative to the dollar system. I'm speaking with writer and analyst Umberto Pascali. Today's show, End of the Unipolar World, The Battle for Europe. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. With regard to the crisis in the Ukraine, it seems that Europe is caught between the power politics of the United States and Russia. Surely the European nations need economic ties with the East. Is Europe being used by the U.S. to go up against Russia? And if so, why are the European nations allowing this? Well, see, I have been uh, in Europe uh, probably more than half of my life. And uh, I was in France, I was in Germany, I was in Italy. Um, I worked in several countries. And uh, the problem is uh, not that Europe is being used against Russia, is that Europe is the target. <laughs> in other words, um, I mean, we can go back to World War I. I think we are still in World War I. But uh, Europe is the competition, especially continental Europe. And uh, much before Russia became uh, the big enemy, Europe was what, for example, British uh, Imperial Britain which now the Anglo-American uh, have their roots, uh, they were scared of. This was the thing to control. This was the thing to weaken. This was the thing to prevent to become stronger. And if you think about uh, the end of uh, uh, World War II and the creation of NATO, you know, there is the first uh, head of NATO said, uh, he was asked to define NATO. What is NATO? NATO is a, an alliance, uh, or a thing, 
to keep uh, the Russian out, keep uh, the American in, and keep the Germans down. Now, Germans in reality meant the European. <laughs> keep the European down. And that's become an instrument of control. And uh, sometimes really nasty, you know, uh, through, through NATO. For example, when the Berlin Wall collapsed, this was uh, 19 of November 1989. 1989, end of the Berlin Wall. People say, okay, now there is a unified Europe, there is no communism, the communism. No, the condition that was put by Bush at that point by Cheney, Cheney was, uh, uh, was the Secretary of Defense, was if Germany. If we accept the reunification of Germany, because the Berlin Wall was in Berlin, so the part of Germany now could be united. So it was not Russia, paradoxically, with the, with the, um, the leadership uh, at the time of Gorbachev, that didn't want the Russian reunification, uh, was uh, the US and the British and Maggie Thatcher. No, absolutely no. First, we have to make sure that that Germany uh, remain a NATO country, that NATO remain in Germany, basically that Germany is an occupied country. It means Italy is an occupied country, you know, uh, France, uh, all of Europe should be an occupied country. Then we can say yes to the reunification. This is something paradoxical because everybody thinks, you know, the, 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 the German reunification was thanked to the U.S. that fought the, uh, the Russians and finally they let these people uh, to be one people. No, it was the opposite. They, they wanted, you know, there is a lot of quote from James Baker, uh, Brent Scowcroft, uh, and Cheney is, the most, uh, Cheney is the most astonishing. He said uh, at the time... America should continue to anchor its strategy to the still valid doctrine of deterrence, flexible response, forward defense, and security alliances, means NATO. Even the extraordinary events of 1989, I mean, the end of the Berlin Wall, do not mean that America should abandon the strategic foundation. And that was it. That was... Uh, NATO is here to stay to control this country. And NATO had been the center from its creation of really nasty form of uh, pressure. And, you know, just I want to remember, remind uh, a few examples. The president of France, Charles de Gaulle, General de Gaulle, the leader of the anti-Nazi resistance in France, uh, he was the victim of, in uh, a few years, from, uh, I believe, uh, 56, uh, 58 to 65, 31 assassination attempts, 31, serious, you know, shooting his car, bombing, and so on. He ordered his uh, intelligence to prepare a report, not just who were the killers, because he more or less knew, he knew the word Permindex, uh, in your uh, OAS inside the military and so on, but who was the center sponsoring all this attempt? And they came out and they, they presented a report that was very clear. This is NATO. This is a NATO center that is organizing this attempt. So they're going to take a decision 
In one day, he said, the military part of NATO, we are still part of the alliance, uh, uh, political alliance, but all the military forces that are not French should be out of the French territory in 24 hours. This freaked out anybody. Uh, France was the only country who was able to get out of uh, this control. And you know what happened? There was no more attempt against the Gaulle life until 1968 when there was the big uh, color revolution and uh, it was taken out. But, uh, you know, uh, this, this applies also to other uh, cases like in Italy, the independent oil man Enrico Mattei, uh, that was challenging the Seven Sisters, I mean, the biggest uh, international oil companies, because he understood that uh, if Italy want to have a development, they want to have a, uh, you know, a future, must have low-cost energy, a lot of energy at low cost. Uh, so he cannot accept the monopoly that establish fantastic prices just for the, the heck of it. So he established direct connection with Arab countries, with Algeria, for example, but also others, uh, Algeria, Iran, and so on, and with Russia, because that's, uh, uh, that's where the oil is. Uh, so he was advised not to do that. He was even, even promised that he could join the cartel, but he had to obey to this law of, you know, we are here to make money, not to develop economies, uh, in case to destroy economy if this means making money. So, uh, 1962, October 1962, his plan was sabotaged and he died. Uh, investigation went back to this Permindex group, this OS, uh, something that that uh, uh, De Gaulle had uh, talked about. Uh, this is also the case with, uh, with the Kennedy, with uh, President Kennedy. And, uh, you know, Matei, before dying, he made this proposal in public in an interview, say, I propose a summit between uh, President Kennedy, President de Gaulle, and myself, and we will discuss about the economy, how to solve this situation. He was killed. The other most uh, uh, recent case, and it's the, the one I really feel almost uh, emotionally, <laughs> was the case of the banker uh, Alfred Herrhausen. Alfred Herrhausen was the most powerful person in Germany, probably in Europe. He was the chairman of the Deutsche Bank, uh, without question the biggest bank in Europe. Uh, he was the advisor of the chancellor at the time, Chancellor Helmut Kohl. Uh, this was the period in which they were negotiating the end of the Berlin Wall, the transformation of Russia, and Herausen had his own plan. And I remember this very well because uh, I, um, I used to know uh, Colonel Fletcher, Fletcher Prouty, who was, uh, um, he, he was retired by the liaison officer between the Pentagon and the, uh, and the CIA. And he knew a lot of things. And he's the guy who advised the, uh, the director of the movie JFK. Uh, he, in fact, is the uh, main ex in that movie. I remember we went to see him uh, with a colleague from Italy asking him about uh, 
Mattei, Kennedy, and he said, but why these cases are clear, you know, you are right, but why don't you look at uh, the case of, uh, of Rausen? Rausen was killed by the terrorist of the Badermine of Rotarme faction in uh, November 30, 1989. It means three weeks after the end of the Berlin War. He had developed a plan for large investment in infrastructure in uh, Poland, uh, Eastern Europe, Balkans, and so on. He had the idea that the task of a banker is not to destroy uh, things to make money. The task of a banker is to uh, finance economic growth, and then you make your profit. So it means long-term investment in infrastructures, in uh, real uh, factories, uh, real things. Opposite, there was the strategy of the the strategy of I go there, I destroy, and the shock therapy, the economic shock therapy. He conducted this fight. He cancelled the debt of Mexico. He cancelled the debt of countries because he said this debt cannot be uh, paid. And so why should I insist them to be paid if not to destroy the country? But So I instead, I cancel the debt and then I help the country to recover and then I make my profit. That will be the task, the ta- task as banker. So he was, he was killed and after him, there was a big change in the Deutsche Bank. The people from the Deutsche Bank operating in London, they took over the bank. Uh, Ashu Jain, for example, this gentleman from the Merrill Lynch, became a, uh, uh, um, the deputy boss of the bank in a very short time because he was saying, you make money out of money. Uh, whatever Rousey says, it's nonsense. And uh, I remember uh, Prouty told us, uh, why don't you look at the case of, uh, of, uh, of Rousey? Let's not forget the chairman of the Deutsche Bank. They killed him in the fall of 89, four days before he was to come to the U.S. to give a speech that could ever change the destiny of the world. The Berlin Wall had collapsed and Rausen wished to explain to Americans the new horizons of Europe. This was the title of his speech that he was to give to the World Bank. In his briefcase was the speech. Some weeks after the murder, the speech was published in the New York Times, but many parts had been left out. In particular, the first 11 pages were missing totally. It is my belief that the reason for that assassination are to be found in those missing pages in which Herr was talking about a big united Europe without an interference of the World Bank. He was talking about a project of integration between Eastern and Western Europe an operation that would have changed the international relationship and that why was killed at his birth. So, <laughs> you know, I always remember that interview and now I understand that probably we are on, possible on the verge of a revenge of Herrhausen. I'm speaking with writer and analyst Umberto Pascali. Today's show... End of the Unipolar World, The Battle for Europe. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. 
how does uh, Italian statesman Aldo Moro fit into this picture? He was also killed, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was also killed. I remember very well because I I was working just on that case uh, as a journalist. Uh, together with uh, a few friends, we published a dossier just probably one month after he was killed in 1978. Who killed Aldo Moro? Uh, this was the most important statesman in Italy. He had been prime minister several times, foreign minister. He was in contact with everybody. He could go to see the Pope whenever he wanted, but he could go to Russia whenever he wanted. He could go uh, to any country. Uh, he was kidnapped in the middle of Rome, kept prisoner in Rome for 55 days, and then killed. His body was left in the middle downtown Rome. What was his crime? This was done by the Red Brigades, by the way. I, I forgot to mention because I never believe it was done by the Red Brigades or the Red Brigade uh, terrorist existed as an independent entity. Uh, after the coup in Chile against Salvador Allende in 1973, uh, Moro and others were very scared that the division of the country between in, in Italy, there was a very strong communist uh, party. It was like 20, 25, 30% at a certain point of the votes. Uh, was not, of course, it was not a communist party going, you know, insurrection and so on. It was like part of the, the landscape. But he knew that certain forces, Western forces, were instigating uh, a situation in Italy in which you create two forces in contraposition to each other, and then... Uh, you try to have a, a fight, and then uh, the consequence is the organization of a coup d'etat, like happened in Chile. Uh, Moro was alarmed also because uh, even the American ambassador was making jokes of uh, Italian spaghetti in Chilean sauce, uh, and everybody knew what, uh, what he meant. So he proposed an historical compromise, that's the way he called it. I don't know if it was a good expression, but historical compromise was between the two major parties in Italy that control almost 70% of the population. Of course, in Italy, people were very political, you know, uh, so people belonging to a party, it's very important. So 70% of the population recognized themselves in the government. He didn't let the communists in the government, but the Communist Party wouldn't oppose the government. So this really uh, freaked out, uh, for example, Henry Kissinger and others who threatened him repeatedly. This came out during the investigation. And uh, finally, he was uh, kidnapped and killed. And we wrote a dossier who killed Aldo Moro, which something is really unexplainable. Uh, people were going to the police with the reports about a possible prison, a possible apartment where Moro was kept. It was true. And the investigation were cut off. In Italy, there was the head of the anti-terrorist unit of the State Department in the Interior Ministry, that means the police ministry, uh, leading the research for Moro. Michael Ledin, I don't know if this, you're familiar with his name, Michael Ledin, that is, um, did a lot of damage to Italy, uh, was there. And, you know, somehow it was made sure that Moro was never found. 
and he was killed. After that, his policy was reversed because an alliance of that kind, this we're talking about 1978, or a modus vivendi between Communist Party and Christian Democracy, the party of Aldo Moro, would have given a signal also international, would have been a precursor to what happened with the Berlin Wall. Even the Vatican at that time, with Paul VI, was somehow favorable to this project. Paul VI died shortly afterward, and then he was declared like an idiot, even inside the Vatican, because he thought that he could have a deal with Russia. So uh, this would have been a precursor to the fall of the Berlin Wall, to a soft landing in which the whole continent could have uh, integrated economically. And this would have mean a lot of uh, uh, development. This could have been very good also for the United States, by the way. The alternative to that is, okay, we have the end of the Soviet Union, but the most disruptive shock therapy way in which those economies are destroyed and whatever left of these little countries of Eastern Europe that were before under the, the, the sphere of influence of the Soviet Union, they just have to become our people, our agent, without any independence. That's what happened. A lot of these countries are very poor, destabilized. Their economy had been destroyed by the shock therapy of Wall Street. That You know, you become a capitalist in 24 hours. Destruction, totally. You have to, to destroy all the factories and to sell the pieces. You have to create the oligarchs, you know, the people who take over a sector, and then they loot the economy. So now we are talking about 78, we are talking about 89. We are going back to that period. Now, the damage that has been done in this period can be reversed. But, you know, you are confronting uh, the insanity of people like Zbigniew Brzezinski, uh, Michael Ledin, that somehow became advisor, a powerful advisor, to the present center of power in Washington. So uh, this somehow produced even a risk of war, of general war. In the sense, if Russia does not uh, give up, and I don't think Russia can give up, they saw when they gave up, say, okay, we are communist, we become non-communist, nothing changed. Uh, so if Russia doesn't give up, uh, they have a nuclear missile. They have a lot of those, and they will not give up. Uh, so insanity on the Western side will not change that. So either we go to a process of uh, agreement, development, and the overcoming of this dollar system that has, by the way, destroyed the United States itself, and then we create a new horizon for the world, like, like uh, Rausen was used to say before he was killed, or we really uh, have, are at the risk of a general uh, thermonuclear war. Unfortunately, it's worse than uh, the Cuban cri uh, missile crisis. In fact, now the problem is that uh, Europe is an occupied area. Western Europe is an occupied area. And these people don't have uh, independent uh, military capabilities. And plus... I'm sure the intelligence are penetrated because when you become a part of 
a supranational organization like NATO, it's clear that you cannot have independent uh, capabilities uh, that uh, are somehow unliked by the top of NATO. So this basically uh, neutralized this country. And, and, and then you see the situation in which the European countries are starving. You know, their economy is uh, rotten. And people, unemployment, uh, youth unemployment in many countries, like in Italy, uh, but in France, in, uh, in, in Spain, not to talk about Greece, you know, uh, are, are extreme. Still, this country has to follow the policy of Wall Street. It's like you have a gun at your head and you have to do what the guy with the gun tells you. So this is the situation that now has been put in discussion. Okay, there's a guy with a gun in my head, uh, but there is also other people who can present an alternative to that. And that's why, you know, Wall Street, the city of London, are so uh, enraged, are trying everything. Because their game has arrived at the point that it could be the final point. And you know, the gentleman who became the head of the Deutsche Bank after Herausen, Joseph Ackerman, a Swiss banker, was asked on TV, ZDF, the TV station in Germany, why doesn't Germany forgive the debts of Greece or the other countries that are collapsing, that cannot pay their debt, like Herausen would have done? And the answer of Ackerman unbelievably on tape in public is because I don't want to end up like Herrausen. This was uh, May 13, 2010. Really shocking. Then are you describing the present conflict as a conflict between finance capital on the one side versus uh, the development of real economies on the other? Yeah, in a sense, in a sense, uh, yes. But, you know, I mean, one cannot be too schematic. It's true. It's financial uh, insanity against real economy. Of course, real economy needs the finance. You know, you need the circulation of money. But in an ancillary form, like a servant, the finance should be servant to the real economy. Now, the situation is, has become the opposite. The real economy is the servant to finance. And this is, you know, a recipe for disaster because it means the finance, the people, the insane people that dominate, uh, you know, faculty of economy all over in the university all over the world, they think that really money comes from money. They really believe in magic. And now you reach a point that when you have developed this beast, this uh, uh, independent uh, financial uh, feudal beast uh, up to this point, then the beast cannot even feed itself. You know, there is a, a very, um, very good image in uh, the Divine Comedy by Dante Alighieri. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the main uh, poet, the guy who invented the Italian language, in a sense. Yes. At the beginning of uh, Hell... Before Dante could get into hell, he meets uh, allegorical animals that uh, represent uh, problems 
that the world have. The most dangerous is she-wolf. She-wolf, of course, the wolf, it's the, the she-wolf is the symbol of Rome, but uh, the she-wolf is very thin, hungry. She has to eat all, all the time. And after having eaten, she's more hungry than before. It is she-wolf destroy countries and population. Uh, and this is the reason, the, the poetic reason, for which Dante wrote one of the most important poems in the history of humanity, the she-wolf. And the she-wolf represents greed. It is, it's like a, um, a disorder, mental and uh, emotional disorder, that you have to accumulate, you, you forget why you have to accumulate. You forget. Uh, even if it is become destructive at a certain point, you have to eat, but not because you want to uh, feed yourself, because you are voracious for uh, the sake of voracity. And, uh, you know, if you want to describe a way to describe to people what is happening in the financial system, uh, that's the chivalry of Dante. You know, you go directly to hell with it. Umberto Pascali, thank you very much. Thank you, Bonnie. I've been speaking with Umberto Pascali. Today's show has been End of the Unipolar World, The Battle for Europe. Umberto Pascali is an independent writer and analyst. He is an acute observer of U.S. foreign policy, focusing on questions of national sovereignty and economic development. He spent many years working on the Balkans, traveling during the 1990s wars in Croatia, Bosnia, Macedonia, and other former Yugoslavian republics. He led political delegations in several capitals and, as Secretary General of the IPGB, the International Parliamentarians Against Genocide in Bosnia, he put together parliamentarians from several countries and organized the visit of ten members of parliaments from seven countries in Sarajevo in 1993. He organized an international conference at the European Parliament on how to oppose the so-called clash of civilizations in the Balkans. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaromako. To make comments or order copies of shows, email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. That's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Visit our website at gunsandbutter.org. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life.